<laughs> teaching to Second Peter 1.5. We're going to continue our study there of um, this, uh, this piece of the last days and how then should we live. It's so important as we uh, look around at what's going on in the world. It's it's an amazing mess today. It's hard to even believe what it is. And, and uh, right now they're probably still heavily into the Mount Sinai Climate Accord Conference. They're supposed to unveil the Ten Commandments of Climate Change today, which is uh, kind, of, kind of indicating that somehow man thinks they can control the climate that God set up and established. And, and uh, anyway, just further movement toward a one-world religion, one-world government, uh, sponsored by the UN. And our illustrious president was one of its attendees a couple of days ago, in case you missed that, uh, pledging all kinds of help to uh, help transition out of fossil fuels and all those other things that God amazingly provided for us. I read a passage one time says, joyfully sharing in the things that he has provided for us. It's in 1 Timothy 6. So <clears throat> anyway... Uh, we're at Second Peter 1.5. We've been looking at the qualities of virtue uh, that we are to have. And so uh, before we begin, let's just take a moment for prayer to get ourselves ready to study the Word of God. Let us pray. Father, again, we thank you for this day, for your love and mercy and grace, for all your blessings, all your tests. And Father, we just ask that you would uh, nourish our souls this morning with this portion of your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in 2 Peter 1, 5, and 1, 2 through 5, these are important verses because they tell us that we've been given everything we need for life and godliness. Now, as we start going to the, the grocery store and finding out that milk jumped a dollar a gallon overnight and flour and etc. because diesel fuel has gotten ridiculous and uh, we're facing uh, periods of inflation, uh, it's just re- all really a, a setup for the tribulation because part of what's going to happen in the tribulation with the unleashing of the four horsemen of the apocalypse is going to be a massive inflation that is going to go on because there's going to be rationing. That's what they're going to put in. So, uh, you know, is the world getting ready for it? Quite obviously. When's it going to happen? I'm not going to date it. Everybody that dates it gets egg on their face, and I'm certainly not going to, although I don't mind eggs, I don't want them all over my face. So anyway, the... um, What it has been telling us is that he has provided, he's always provided, he's going to provide. And so we need to just relax in that. No matter who wins what elections, it's still not going to change the hearts of men. And that's where the real problem lies, is on the inside, not on the political outside. So this deals with changing the hearts of men. This deals with looking into the mirror and asking, God, what do you want of me? What would you have me do in these days and that I find myself in? How then shall I live? And we have started, and it says applying all diligence. Now, diligence means you've made an honest effort. you made <clears throat> some zeal. You have zeal. You want to do it quickly. Okay, that's what diligence is all about. <clears throat> and diligence is an outer circle. You basically have a concentric circle with nine rings on it. It draws a target. 
and it is very clear. This is a series of dative's in the Greek, which are dative's of sphere. So it's saying in the sphere of this, in the sphere of this, in the sphere of this. And so diligence goes around all of it. So everywhere you see one of these words, wrap diligence around it, and you've got the correct application. But in the sphere of your diligence, this is something you provide. Okay, The Lord has already provided everything we need for life and godliness, right? But so what are we supposed to do? We are to add, <coughs> it says, all diligence. That's for us to do. And then in the sphere of your diligence... <coughs> Add faith, which is interesting. That means, first of all, you want to know him. You want to know him well. And that's inside the sphere of diligence. Add faith. And, of course, we know faith is all about the right object. It's not, it's not believing whatever you want to believe. There are a bunch of people at that conference right now at Mount Sinai <clears throat> that believe that they can actually save the planet. They believe that Mother Earth is the uh, ultimate of all things and therefore we should worship her. And the Bible tells us <clears throat> to worship and serve the Creator rather than the created. Worshiping the Earth is Hinduism. Call it anything you want to call it. Put in any other vocabulary or things. That's all it is. Is Worshiping Mother Nature is nothing more than Hinduism. It's interesting in this climate summit, they basically have Christians, Jews, and, <clears throat> and Muslims that are attending and that are involved in it. And sometime today, I understand, they're going to do a major repentance of all that they have done to the to the globe and to the to the world itself. It's interesting also, I I Googled it yesterday. I was trying to find the Ten Commandments and see what they were. I don't think they've quite published them yet. Some people know what they are. But one article I read was from a Jew. And he was very upset with the nation of Israel for all the damage that they had done to the environment. And so <clears throat> We know anti-Semitism's been around since Abraham. We know that it is, it is going to continue. But what, what it's kind of hard to see is that it's coming from within, from the, from the Jews themselves, and that's being, uh, uh, that's being ramped up on the earth. And in the sphere of your faith, produce virtue. Now, virtue is learning what the right thing is, and then doing it. Okay, not just knowing what it is, but being able to do it. And virtue, when we get to this level and in this series of spheres, it is saying that these are things that everybody knows are right. And Romans chapter 2, along about verse 14 and 15 in there, it says, Even the Gentiles who don't have the law know the things of the law. They're written on their hearts. So there's some things that every human being knows are right and wrong. So take this faith, get it in the right person, take the knowledge of virtue as you as you have it, and some of it you know what is right and right, it's wrong to steal, if it's not yours, leave it alone, I mean that's pretty clear, if it's not your wife, leave her alone, there's all kinds of things in there, take care of your mom and dad, there's, there's things within the Ten Commandments that are basically things that everybody should really know. But in the sphere of your virtue, it says, <clears throat> add knowledge. And that's really where we are right now. We're looking at what are these things? Because they're just a bunch of words until you dig deeper into them. What do the words mean? And this is the gnosis word. See, I used to, <clears throat> when I first started studying the scriptures, 
diligently. <coughs> Excuse me, I didn't mean to do that. <coughs> I thought knowledge should have been up here. I had knowledge right at the top because I thought it was all about knowledge. I thought it was about learning the Word of God. I thought it was about learning Bible doctrine. I, that's what I thought. And then as I studied through the Bible, I f keep running into passages like this. Okay, And knowledge is fourth on the list. I'm going, why is this thing fourth on the list? Why is it indeed fourth on the list? Because it's simple gnosis. It's knowledge that it is talking about. But see how these, these circles keep getting smaller because we are headed toward this target. It's going to say, we'll study them later, in the sphere of your knowledge, add self-control. In the sphere of your self-control, add perseverance, meaning hang in there. Danny and I were talking about that this morning. If you didn't have any testing, you wouldn't know if you had any perseverance. And it's interesting about perseverance or crowns associated with persevering till the end, the crown of life being one of them. So perseverance is really a hanging on in the circumstances you find yourself in. And, folks, it says it's going to go from bad to worse in the last days. So is it going to get any better? No, maybe periods, brief periods of rest and all that. But we basically have an issue of persevering. As you're looking at this nation and at the world, it is becoming more and more anti-theistic. Not just anti-Jesus, but anti-God until they make their own God, see, which is Mother Nature. And that's what they're trying to do right now for this one world religion. And in the sphere of your perseverance, add godliness. This is an interesting word, eusebia, and it's uh, cognates that are used. And it means good reverence. Sabia is a word for reverence. You on the front of it means good. And so that's what godliness is, is all about. That means you're doing the right things for the right reason. Uh, I pray for a lot of people over the course of time, family members, I pray, that, that, that they will do the right thing for the right reason. In other words, they will do the right thing in order to glorify God, not just to get along in life, not just to cope with what is going on, but they're doing the right things to glorify Him because do all things to the glory of God, whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, 1 Corinthians 10.31. So godliness is doing the right things with a sphere of reverence for the Creator. And in the sphere of your godliness, brotherly love. So how do we get to loving one another? How do we get to brotherly love? It requires some things to get there based on this this passage. Brotherly love, Philadelphos, and then in the sphere of brotherly love, add the love, which is going to be, it's hey agape in the Greek, it's going to be the love of God. That's the target. Now, do we love him as much as we can? And the answer is no. Not as long as we're hooked to this body. There is always room, and, and where did that come from? Ephesians 3, the end of the chapter. Okay, to know the love of God that passes all knowledge. What, what that love is, is really beyond mere human comprehension. So that's the target. That's where we're headed for. Now we're at point I. We, this is where we left off last week. In the sphere of our faith, add virtue. And we should add the knowledge, which involves a greater exposure to and a comprehension of the God. Now, 
where do we get that? He's given us his written word, composed over 1,500 years by 40 different authors on five continents. They come from every kind of background, every walk of life, and the message is consistent all the way through it. Something that man couldn't have written if he would have, and that man uh, that required God to write for us to be able to understand. Now, last week we saw we're supposed to search the depths of the knowledge of God. Romans 11:33. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor? Now, it's interesting that a lot of times that's what we want to do is offer him advice. Right? Either offer him advice or negotiate. Negotiation is one of those things that people have been wanting to do with God for a long time. I think it goes all the way back to the garden. Okay, God, I've got these fig leaves built here. I've covered my nakedness. Aren't you happy with me? And the answer we know to that is no. Our objective is to, to go as deep as we can. Now, how do we do that? I think part of that is coming to a greater appreciation of his natural revelation. Okay, that is who he is, what he's revealed, what he has made. And when you start <clears throat> thinking about design, it's I, I never used to notice the, the design of trees or birds or um, blades of grass. And then you think, these all have their own intricate design. What about a honeycomb? Specially made. Certain things follow a design. And one thing with the design, you have to have a designer. And so as you look at the design with the idea in mind of knowing God better, you start to see the designer at work. Otherwise, you've just got a superficial understanding of of what, what creation is really all about. Creation is not about the creation, but the creator. He is the designer. So when we look at those things and we go, wow, God, this is really cool and really neat. I got sidetracked yesterday like I frequently do, looking at a bunch of stuff on the, the Internet. I forgot even what I was looking for. That you, you know how that goes. You start looking at one thing and it takes you to something else and something else. And I found out that they're 20-foot-long uh, saltwater crocodiles that weigh two tons. And then it showed a picture of one, and they're really big. They're really big. And you look at that, and you know, they're really big, aren't they? And then you think, <clears throat> who designed those things? And you start saying that, that God just had fun with the animal world. And then he got to humans. <laughs> And we think we think about how how different are we, how similar are we, and how different are we? Because we know fingerprints are all different. We know that eye prints are all different. We know their DNA. We know their things that are different about us. And yet we all basically have, you know, two two eyes, two arms two legs, we both basically have a trunk and a torso, but we are all different. And God has all this design showing his omniscience. He said, boy, when they think they figured me out, I'm going to teach them about fingerprints. Ah, and then I'm going to teach them about DNA. 
Oh, and they charted the DNA molecule, and you're going, we figured that out. No, you didn't. <laughs> he said, you're just getting started. We're invited to search the depths of God. Now, having a knowledge of the truth doesn't guarantee that one will be a virtuous person. From Romans chapter 2, verse 17, he says, If you bear the name Jew, rely on the law, boast in God, and know his will, and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those in the darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth, you who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that you shouldn't steal, do you steal? He's, he's, this is Book of Romans. He's writing the Jewish population there in Roman in Rome. He says, "You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples?" You who boast in the law, though breaking the law, do you dishonor God? These are rhetorical questions that he's asking, and he's saying, look what's going on in your own life, life here. These people had a knowledge of the truth, the Jews, the religious Jews especially. They didn't live that way. It was a whole different sequence. 1 Corinthians 1.4, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge. So he's happy that the Corinthian church had knowledge, but knowledge is not the end-all, be-all in itself. And we just looked last week, John 7, 17, if anyone wants to do his will, then he will know the teaching. You have to know what his will is, but you've got to be willing to do it. Because then you'll be able to evaluate the teaching, whether it's good or bad. So if you're not willing to do his will, all you're ever going to get is a distorted picture of his word. Madeline Murray O'Hare had a doctorate in theology, and yet she, became, she was one of the leading atheists. And by the way, she is dead, and she knows the truth. So if you get an email circulating through that Madeline Murray O'Hare just said you'll know that, no, that's fake news. So you can have the knowledge to move on. Now, <clears throat> we're to use everything God brings our way, including knowledge, to present ourselves as his servant from 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 4. He says, in everything commending ourselves as servants to God. So how do we want people to know us? We want people to know our name, right? Shouldn't we want them... To say that person the bondservant of the Lord. Now how are they going to know that? We're going to carry a sign around with us? I'm a bondservant. I know a guy that, that had a, a t-shirt one time. He used to wear to camp. It said doulos on the front of it. Which is the Greek word for bondservant. And he was the, the doulos. He was a doulos. Which is thankful to know. But you usually don't have to wear a t-shirt to tell everybody you're a doulos. That's what we should all be, and that should be seen by a lot of, a lot of things, a lot of these virtues that are, that are mentioned here. He says, commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance, in afflictions and hardships, in distresses and beatings, in imprisonments, 
in tumults and labors and sleeplessness and hunger and purity in knowledge. So whenever Paul reveals what he has been taught and what he knows, it's for the glory of God, presenting himself as a bondservant. In patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, and genuine love. So <clears throat> we use everything that God brings our way, all of your assets, all of the blessings that God's poured out on you, all your spiritual gifts, all your talents, all your abilities, everything that you do is to be to the glory of God. <clears throat> now, part of our thanksgiving to God for the knowledge he has given us and presenting ourselves as a servant is keeping our commitments to other people, keeping our commitments to other people. In 2 Corinthians 8, 7, it's interesting. Second uh, Corinthians 8 and 9 are the two the most extended discourses on New Testament giving that are found. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 on, on grace giving. And it says <clears throat> in chapter 8, he says, Just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. Now, this whole thing was the fact that the Corinthian church had made a pledge, if you will, a financial pledge to help the church in Jerusalem that had undergone a famine. Word had gone out that they need help. And the church at Corinth decided they would make a pledge. Now, some people do that just to be known. They want to get their name on something, and they make a pledge to help. And it, it's sad, but true, a lot of people that make those with these telethons and stuff like that really don't come through with what they have pledged to do. But what <clears throat> Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, he said, yeah, you're a mess, everybody knows you're a mess, but you gave your word. And I want you to keep your word. Keep your word when it comes to commitments to others, promises to help. If you say you're going to help somebody, then be there for them. Be there, be willing, be able. Try to find somebody else to help if you're not able to do it. I mean, act with virtue and honor. So he says, take that which we have been given. When we have given a commitment, make it real. When we give a commitment to somebody else, make it real. That's the way it should be. That's part of our thanksgiving to God. It's in helping others. Now, knowledge is required before one is able to admonish other people. <clears throat> there is a verse, that, uh, several verses, actually, that talk about admonishing one another. This is... <laughs> admonishing one another, that's a verse that a legalist loves. Let me tell you. Whenever we're called to admonish one another, that means we're going to call them out. That means we're going to correct them. We're going to fix them. We're going to tell them how it ought to be done. Okay? And Paul says, okay, but there's some guidelines <laughs> in Romans 15 and verse 13 and 14. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So without the Holy Spirit, how, how much hope is there really? Confident expectation. Not a lot. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, 
filled with all knowledge. Doesn't mean you're omniscient. What he's saying here, he says, and able to admonish one another. So there are two prerequisites here to admonishing somebody, giving them a warning. First of all, <clears throat> goodness. Are you doing this to the glory of God? Are you doing this to draw attention to yourself? Are you doing this to put others down, to raise yourself up? The, the examine the motives that are going on there. He said, <clears throat> but are you filled with all goodness? And then he says, filled with all knowledge. Now that's knowledge concerning the event that needs to be admonished. Because a lot of times we want to go fix somebody, right? I know you've never, you've never faced that test before where you've admonished somebody and then found out that you didn't have all the facts and you basically end up looking foolish. You damage relationships and do a lot of different things. And what does he say here? If you're filled with all goodness, maybe you won't make the lead with the accusation. It might be better if you're filled with all goodness to try and be sure that the facts are correct. And then if the facts are correct, maybe an admonition, a warning is in order. And Paul says that's the way we ought to, ought to treat one another. Especially the one another, when you find that, it's the word of lay and it's one another of the same kind. And it deals with fellow believers. Fellow believers. We're not perfect. We all need admonition from time to time. But gosh, if you lead off of the accusation, what, what's a normal thing? Walls of defense go up. Immediately what happens? The walls go up, and the next thing you're trying to do is chip through the walls. first thing you need to do is get the walls down so you can talk. And how are you doing it? Filled with all goodness. Now, the way you do that, you go up to somebody and say, I want you to know I've been thinking about it a long time, and I finally, I'm really good at this, and you need warning. That's not filled with all goodness. <laughs> That's filled with all legalism. <laughs> That's the way the, the Jews did it, isn't it? Isn't that the way they tried to do it with Christ? How did they come to Christ? Did they, 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 they asked questions trying to trap him. That was their common method of doing things. They asked questions trying to trap him. They asked questions they didn't have all the facts. And they made accusations. Leveled accusations at him without gathering the appropriate data. Now knowledge without love produces arrogance. <clears throat> As I mentioned earlier when I first started getting serious about the Christian life and wanting to learn and realizing the call as a pastor and all that and and I thought knowledge was at the top of the list of important things to do. Okay, the importance, uh, some of us remember the doctrine of the importance of Bible doctrine. Okay, and we thought knowledge was right here at the top of the list. Well, it's not according to this list. It's not. You do have to have the want to to get started. The diligence, you have to apply all that diligence and you have to have faith. Now, faith in the correct object means that I have faith that he's going to lead me into all truth and show me things to come. Isn't that what John 16 is about in the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Do I have faith that he can take me there? <clears throat> and then you, you finally get down to knowledge. And this is one of the verses <clears throat> that the Lord used to, to uh, get my attention. Uh, because after leaving seminary, 
And the best way to get an answer to any theological question is to ask a new person that's graduated from seminary. And they will give you an answer. I can guarantee it might not be anywhere close to the truth, but they will give you an answer because they know it all. Then they get out in the real world, and they get out in the real world, and they find and they start studying. Now, if they don't study the Scripture, nothing's going to change. But if they get out in the real world and start studying the Scripture, I think that eventually they're going to find out that maybe some things that, that they were taught needed tweaking, needed adjusting. And I mentioned John 5, 37 through 39. That's a verse I went through and taught the Gospel of John early on up in, up in Bartlesville. I'm going through there and it says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. It's not the written word <laughs> that imputes the salvation. But that's what the Jews thought. He says, these... Bear witness of me. They'd missed the whole point. The written word was important, but it was not the end all be all. John 7, 17. If any man is willing to do his will, we talked about that. Here's another good one. 1 Corinthians 8, 1. Knowledge makes arrogant. Talk about getting hit right between the eyes. Did I know anybody? See, that's often our first evaluation. People that have a lot of knowledge, you look at them and go, boy, they're nothing but arrogant. But then do we look in the mirror and go, that describes me. Knowledge makes arrogant. If we're trying to study the Word simply to gain knowledge, you know what the result's going to be? Arrogance. That's what the book says. But it says, but love edifies. Love builds up. So if I'm full of goodness, it means I'm full of love and I'm able to, in, to admonish other people because I've gathered the data that is necessary to do that. The knowledge oftentimes is humbling. But if all we want is the knowledge, all we get is arrogance. Knowledge without love produces arrogance. First uh, Corinthians 8, 3, If anyone supposes that he knows anything... This is a good verse. <laughs> he is not yet known as he ought to know. So you really think you know it all? If anyone loves God, he's known by him. You can count on that. So knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. Knowledge without consideration harms other people. From 1 Corinthians 8, verse 10. See, we're letting the scripture teach us because we look up the word knowledge and then we see how is the word knowledge used and then we see what does God want us to know about knowledge by doing the word studies on it and we're able to put it together and get a better picture of what knowledge means inside of this 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 list 1 Corinthians 8:10 says if any if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple Will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? And through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined. The brother of, for whose sake Christ died. Thus, by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. So if food causes my brother to stumble, I'll never eat meat again. Then I might not cause my brother to stumble. 
Paul said it's an idol's temple. What are idols? Nothing. What are they? Made of wood and stone. They really don't hear. They don't see. They don't do anything but sit there. Taking up space. That's what they do. So they're not really anything. So for me, I can walk into an idol's temple and I can eat. I have the knowledge to do that. It is no problem, really. It's not a problem at all. He says that my weaker brother, who has some knowledge, and he says, uh, oh, look at that person. They're acting just like a pagan. He says, Paul is trying to teach the Corinthian church, do things that edify others and build up others. Now, when he gets to chapter 14, he's going to say, pursue love, after he just defined it in 13. And then he says, do all things for edification. Do everything in our life to build up our brother. So knowledge without consideration, you can put of others in there, harms other people. A big part of the spiritual battle we face concerns those things that attack the true knowledge of God. <clears throat> this is a big part of the battle. We need to be able to recognize it. We need our senses trained to discern good and evil, like the writer of Hebrews says. 2 Corinthians 10.3 says, Though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. Because the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they're divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. See, inside all those anti-theistic worldviews that are out there, people build fortresses in them. And what we need to be able to do, we need to get through that fortress to get the truth in there to them. He says, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing, which is every arrogant thing, raised up against the knowledge of God. Who is he? And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We want to pattern our obedience after Messiah. That's what he's saying. We don't want to follow other worldviews. What we're doing is exposing them. And the best way to expose them a lot of times is by live your worldview. Don't compromise your worldview. Be a real example for others in that regard that you're going to live what you, what you believe. The Muslims, I talked to a chaplain one time it was over in the first uh, Iraq war uh, that we went through and he said they were put under um, they were put under obligation not to talk to Muslims and not to try and give them the gospel. I know a serviceman that got in trouble giving out Iraqi gospel coins while they were over there. Got called on the carpet and couldn't even pass out a gospel coin over there. And this guy said, I want to tell you something about Muslims. He said, if you're not willing to die for your faith, they have no respect for your faith. So if you're not willing to break rank you will to share about the Lord Jesus Christ your faith is weak and they're not interested in it that was an interesting comment that he had and he obviously led others to the Lord in the process but sometimes people become so afraid they they do the wrong things and they submit to a lower authority violating a higher authority that's where problems come in now, legalism is a common method of attack. Uh, 
from Luke 11:52. Woe to you lawyers. Every time <laughs> you see the word lawyers in the New Testament, I don't know of seeing a good lawyer in the New Testament. They also call them scribes. Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. But here is a woe to you lawyers. Now I know good lawyers. I know people who are good, who function within the law. They try and do fair and honest things. I know lawyers that are good. So it's unlike Larry the Cable guy said, 99.8% give the others a bad name. But that's not, not really the case. It's probably 90%. Anyway, <laughs> it's a lot lower. But <clears throat> when you teach people how to win instead of how to obey the law and be and fairly and justly, then you've taught them the wrong things. When it's all about the winning in the courtroom, that's the wrong stuff. That is into the temptations of man. <clears throat> he says, What are you lawyers? You've taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves, and those who were entering in who were entering in you hindered. Lawyers commonly try to it's a common method of attack to try and limit the truth and, and to limit the true knowledge of the God. Are they trying to do that now? They managed to get the uh, prayer taken out of schools in 1962. Some of us still remember the day it happened. When we were, I was sitting in the 8th grade in 1962, and we had an opening prayer every day at school. And uh, it was just part of our daily protocol. Somebody come on, read the announcements over the intercom, and lead in prayer. And that's just what happened in our secular high school. And then the Supreme Court came down with a decision, and it was gone the next day. They bowed to it. Do they want to take this knowledge, so-called knowledge that they have, and use it against uh, the God of the heavens? And the answer is, obviously, they do. And they, they do it by trying to pass laws to make you stop doing things. They had uh, some laws back during the COVID thing, you might remember which were questioned by a lot of people. They wanted to shut everybody down, including churches. In some senses, especially churches. Why? Because we got together, and we actually had interaction with one another and fellowship. And so they wanted to shut down churches. And many of us, I'll include us in that, said, well, we don't know what is going on here. We still don't know anything about this virus. We don't know this, don't know that. And we need to... We need probably to do this. But we didn't lock it up and throw away the key. Instead, we went online. We came in and um, Jimmy and Roger and I came in uh, and maintained our social distancing throughout the internet. <laughs> and we came in and recorded it. And then we're able to put it up online for Sunday morning so people could stay at their house and they could, they could uh, watch the videos. We didn't shut down totally. And then, even though the shutdown was in March, as I remember, first part of May, we were back open with whoever wanted to attend. Now, <clears throat> obviously, it's a bubonic plague, and something you know is going to kill everybody, or Ebola. In fact, why not just go ahead and gather and get it over with? I mean, 
absolutely absurd. And now, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. I'm, I'm just a little peek down the rabbit hole. When they come out and find out all the bad things that are going on with these vaccines. Yeah, some people, maybe more people should have listened to them. Now, <clears throat> legalism, passing laws. Passing laws that violate your volition, marriage, family, and nation. What do they go after? The divine institutions. That's what they do because they want to control you. And uh, I, you know, let's wait and see what the Ten Commandments are like after this Mount Sinai. Because you can bet they're going to start making laws and the cords. And um, if they turn it into a treaty with other nations, guess what can supersede our Constitution? Treaties ratified by the Senate. Isn't that interesting? Of course, it's not a simple majority to do it. The world is full of false knowledge, which we are called to avoid. From 1 Timothy 6, verse 20, it says, O Timothy, Paul's closing this book out. Guard what's been entrusted to you. Just this last week, we got 1 Timothy notes up on the website and going through first timothy was again a lot of fun for me to go back through these books and see them in their complete contextual flow and to look back and see how this paragraph connects to this paragraph connects to this paragraph and he says guard what has been entrusted to you now <clears throat> avoiding worldly and empty chatter going on all the way back in the first century there's a whole lot of stuff that is just useless conversation and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge <laughs> in part what our battle is with is with fake news things that are called knowledge and they're not really knowledge it says which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith Believers are not immune to it. Then he says, grace be with you. And that's how he signs off. Timothy, what I've just told you throughout this book. And if you study Timothy, you find out he is, he is mentioned multiple times in different Pauline writings. He is mentioned multiple times as kind of a, a sidekick, a confidant, a go-to, a young pastor, elder, overseer, given a lot of responsibility that Paul prayed a lot for. And I'm looking forward to meeting Timothy one of these days. Some people say, well, he was just a weak sister. That's because there's one passage in there and said, Timothy, you don't need a spirit of timidity. Okay, But, you know, he was obviously mature because he met all the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 or he would not have been in the position he was. So he was a mature Young man is what he was, given a position of importance. But avoid these things, fake news, things that take, uh, take a piece of the information and twist it. It's called iniquity in the scripture. Things that uh, take the truth and twist it, the lies that they just flat out tell, that sounds a lot like the old devil in the garden, doesn't it? Because what did he do? He took what God had said 
and he twisted it. And the first thing he twisted had to do with God's goodness. God is not really good. Oh. He put you in this garden, but he gave you these rules. And then he flat out lied. He said, he knows that you're not going to die if you eat of this fruit. So <clears throat> he took it and twisted it around. And the same type of methodology is just being, is being used today in different form. That's when the evil one takes the truth and twists it to their own selfish ends. I think they call it politics. They take the truth and they twist it to their own selfish ends. And then they will flat lie. If they think that will further their cause. I read a passage, Revelation 18, and it says, Her sins piled up and reached to the heavens, speaking of prophetical Babylon. I also read the same passage almost identically in Genesis 18 and 19 with the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. You see the same type of thing in Genesis 6 prior to the flood. God is very gracious. And he does not judge every sin immediately. You know, we're real good at wanting to, hey, go get them, go get them. Well, what about go get us? Because if we got what we deserve, none of us would be here. That's the fact of the matter. Now, Second Peter 1.6 goes to the, to the next level, which is self-control. And that's part of what we have right now. That's part of what we have. It's a problem in this nation right now. Look at these qualities that we've got so far. And what what do we have right in the nation? What do we have right in the world? Diligence toward the things of God? No, I don't think so. Diligence toward... I'm going to hypnotize you yet. Do we have diligence toward the things of God? Not really. Do we have faith in the correct object? That's been replaced by faith is whatever you make your truth. Well, no, we don't, don't have that in the world, do we? Do we have virtue? Virtue has been redefined. It's, been, it's tried to be. You can't redefine what God defines, but the world certainly tries to do that. And what does the world go after? Everything God has established. Starting with creation... It has gone after volition. You don't really make the choice. Your environment makes the choice for you, and you're just complicit in it. Huh? Marriage? Have they gone after that? Absolutely. Family takes a village. No, it takes a family. How about nation? Oh, let's just open the borders up over every nation on the earth. And that's what the Antichrist wants. You can see what he wants. What about church? Yeah, God established the church in the new age on the day of Pentecost after Christ was resurrected. We're supposed to be able to assemble ourselves together and not be after the habit of some. But we're to come together and it says encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I got a, we got a card in the mail this last week. And it was one of those neat little cards. 
that you just get in the mail out of the clear blue, and it's an old friend, and just wrote a little note said, thinking of you too, and appreciate our friendship. That was <laughs> not that I needed that encouragement, but it was certainly welcome. It was certainly welcome. That's what we're supposed to be as encouragers. So look for opportunities. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day, your love and mercy and grace. Thank you for your blessings and your test. And Father, we thank you for this portion of your word. So I pray we'd be able to remember it. And as we leave here today, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just bug us with it all week long. And every time we start to get away from the straight and narrow, I pray that you'd, that he would push us back on. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.